0: John
1: Brown's body lies a in the grave. John Brown's body. Hello everyone. Welcome to part two of John, John Brown. Uh, it grave, occurred to me this week someone cold informed cold me that our friends at the dollop are also doing John Brown. Don't worry. Don't worry. That's a good thing. That means that there's worry, more John Brown. Hallelujah. Everyone's brain is broken by the concept worry, of scarcity. Glory, Alright, we're going up against liberals who own everything and do the same thing every day, all day. No, there should be a million podcasts about John Brown. I, for one, am excited to have a dueling John Brown podcast with the dollop. Anyways, today will be the second installment of our series. And also I'm going to talk to a, a guy from South Carolina who's a disabled socialist. And has a cool website called Not Your Inspiration, and has some interesting things to say about uh, about being disabled and about the way our culture treats it. Um, I'm opening with the song John Brown's Body that we talked about last week because, well, a because it's fitting, but also b because um, I forgot. Somebody pointed this out to me after the last episode went up that there's actually like an interesting piece of historical inf- information surrounding this song, which is that. Uh, the actual song started not. It just. They wrote it about a different guy named John Brown. It was a, a, a guy died in like some small troop or something. And he just was named John Brown. And so they just sang the song about his body. But then later on, the song became about John Brown. It just fused together. Really weird piece of history. And then. Then. What's her face? wrote it into the battle hymn of the republic based on the song john brown's body which she you know took to be about john brown and then it became you know this much larger deal julia ward howe is the person who wrote the battle hymn of the republic and then it became fucking you know a million other songs and it became a, uh, you know the fucking dsa goddamn socialist thing you sing when you're drunk and you forget the words too um isn't that interesting anyways uh here's part two enjoy
2: of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike
1: So, moving on a little bit, like, I guess John Brown's early adult life is uh, kind of interesting because he's existing during a time when capitalism as we know it is rising, right? Mm. And he is not a good capitalist. And (laughs) the author of this book makes an argument, I think, that probably makes a lot of sense, uh, which is that the reason he's not a good capitalist is because he doesn't care about profit. He only cares about what he's deemed to be the moral code of God. And so he does things like he doesn't rise and sell or ri- lower and raise his prices according to the market. He just sells things at the price for what he thinks is fair. So he lose money all the time because he sells shit that right. he doesn't think is up to his own value or code or whatever. And then he also charges way too much for shit because he's like this is the best fucking piece of leather i've ever made god put it in me you know
3: right yeah because he's thinking about things for their actual utility and what they actually mean and you know he's not thinking of the exchange value exactly
1: so this is where like a lot of this emerson stuff comes in to the story because you know throughout his life he's a tanner he's a farmer Um, And he really gets caught up in the wool trade and that's where he gets really fucking like fucked over on money and uh, just digs himself into a huge hole. And Emerson like studied his life and said or observed his life, I guess, and said that, um, you know, what he was doing was uh, he was doing what Emerson believed was sort of this neo yeoman way of living, which is, you know, I mean, what Jefferson started with the Southerners, especially started was a dream that every, you know, white man would sort of be like his, he would own an enterprise and a farm. And so the way Emerson referred to it is, uh, you know, don't be a farmer, be a man on the farm as in you are like, you don't just farm. You also make clothes and shit you do all this sort of stuff you run your own micro society and your life isn't defined by your work your life is defined by like your study and all this stuff and and you know mm-hmm. it's very sovereign citizen-y shit it's very like I much like I you know Emerson wanted to live in the woods and not be reliant on other parts of society he wanted to be you know his big fucking term is self-reliant right and so I think what he s- understands John Brown to be is attempting somewhat to be like that but you know, that's a thing that, like, doesn't really pan out in history because eventually there's a scarcity of land and resources and, you know, calls into question all these other things. Like, can can everyone be self-sufficient in America? It doesn't make any sense, really, you know?
3: Yeah, and it also goes back to sort of, like, a, a contradiction with Brown in that, yeah, as you mentioned, he is very um, personally non-anti-racist and that includes... Uh, indigenous people, but you know settling a place like Kansas, for instance uh, is going to de- displace indigenous people and that you know as, as is the case with everywhere in the United States. So this um, Jeffersonian ideal may have had some sort of like radical elements to it um, but uh, definitely you know is is part and parcel of uh, American colonialism
1: yeah uh though i th- I think the way John Brown went about doing it was very inclusive of the people that he moved into land with, and so he had great relationships with like Indians, like he would go talk to Indian chiefs and they would like him so much they would send him you know gifts and shit, and they would have like these candid conversations where they'd say like, Hey, man, as long as you aren't trying to civilize us like other white people.' we mm-hmm. think you're great. Like we don't want to be civilized. We like and this is also, you know, a big part of like the story of um colonization you of a new
2: flog to hate your son with. <laughs> he wouldn't preach to them.
1: He wouldn't preach, no. He actually really? respected their like he didn't he he was not dogmatic in his religion. And I think part of that is the Calvinist like predetermination stuff. He uh he would he tried to you know he had those debates and stuff and he would give sermons and shit like that to a lot of people but he didn't try to push it on Native Americans in the same way and I think it's because he understood that it was like kind of uh you know the the colonialization sort of thing right well
2: or he thought they were damned
1: and uh, (laughs) I don't I don't I don't think so because they'd have these casual conversations and like you know they expressed they had conversations about how you know modernity is this thing that that thrust itself upon indians in america like that's the word i was looking for when i did an episode about the mexican revolution i couldn't quite find it in my head but modernity was like this tragic element in white people coming to this land and imposing all of these like you know technology and all of these orders and shit that go with it Onto fucking Indians and indigenous people and shit like the Aztecs and Mayans and all this stuff and fucking chief. They would make jokes about it. this one. This one Indian chief said, you know, we don't need that stuff. We're bad enough as it is. He made a little cheeky joke about it <laughs> and they fucking <laughs> laughed and then that's it. Right. <sighs> so here's what I'm getting at. Like John Brown did actually expand westward without exploiting other people, but that's also why he went broke. Because, Mm, you know, he, um, so he got into the wool trade and basically just like started taking out credit to, to pay off other credit and getting caught like on these weird expeditions where he lied and said, I already have the sheep. And then he'd fucking run as hard as possible to another town, try to get the sheep back in time. You know, just a whole fucking, you know, try to pay off student loans. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But, you know, around this time, he does feel he does express sympathy for the labor movement on some level. But he never becomes like an out and out socialist, although some of his children do. And I think maybe the atheism. Well, I know it wasn't part of socialism yet, but uh, I don't know. For whatever reason, he's like he's he's his own thing, but he does understand the oppression of you know bosses and things like that and i think he just chooses You got a little little bit of that like emersonian anarchy sort of shit where mm-hmm. he chooses to to just personally recuse himself from the entire situation and just try to you know try to just go my mission is just god right. you know i don't have none of this shit right
2: if i have enough sons that's like i have my own society
1: yeah, we just yeah. use the salmon's as money or whatever. There's so many of them. Mm-hmm. We trade them.
2: I'll trade you one dead child <laughs> for your dead child.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so we create a market. Trade you one dead sam, one dead human named salmon for a whole bushel of actual salmon.
2: That's an interesting proposal, and I wonder if it would work.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, they're called uh, what? Not greenbacks, but like brown back. I, I don't know. Pinkbacks. Bags. Mm, don't yes. call them that. <laughs> Freshly bag, minted sure. salmons. <laughs> <laughs> um, in 1832, Dianth dies of something called childbed fever. No idea. Um, I guess she had just given birth. Uh, 1833, the Browns live um, in the, so since their mother's gone, they just have to they're so broke they have to move in with this other family. Eventually they leave. Um, he doesn't know what to do, and all of a sudden, lo and behold, um, he's hired a sixteen-year-old named Mary Day, daughter of a blacksmith named Charlie Day, like from "It's Always <laughs> oh, Sunny yeah. in Philadelphia." Ah, <laughs> yeah, that's great. Um, he marries her, the sixteen-year-old, and has thirteen he's kids. Canceled. He's
2: canceled again.
1: His thirteen kids, nine of which die. Uh, <laughs> pretty fucked up. <laughs> So,
2: I know we've all grown none to this, but that's an insane number of children. When you're okay.
1: reading the book, it's like every time you turn a page, it's a, And then Salmon the Fourth died of. <laughs> you know. <laughs> the Weasels got him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, like I was saying earlier. I'm going to talk about his politics a little bit. In the 1820s, he was a Whig, uh, but eventually he was disgusted with the Whig candidates, the uh, pro slavery Republicans that came into the picture, Andrew Jackson as a Democrat, fucking everyone. And it, it said that after 30, he just stopped voting. He just was like, my project is not in this thing at all. Uh, and that's, you know, maybe part of why he decided to take things in a different direction, right? Um, Wait. So
3: the Whigs were because you know the, the, there was that the split that became the Republicans. Were the, the, it, the were they both sort of like amorphous in the sense that there was pro slavery, anti slavery, or the history teacher might know this. What was the
0: question?
1: Whigs were they predominantly uh, abolitionist, or uh, I'm not.
3: really
1: Okay. Never mind. Yeah, I'm not sure about the exact details because I mean, some of the, my mind starts to blank over when we get to some of the just fucking the Whigs. It happened in this year, and then after that, someone. Turned yeah, to, but I uh, think
3: I remember them being uh, pro modernization, and that was one of the divides that we talked about with Matt too. Like Republicans and Whigs wanted to like modernize, like invest in urban economies and stuff, and then the Democrats were just strict agriculturalists, like leave us alone
1: right but the thing is and i think this is what happened in this specific point with brown is that so a lot a lot of the people that were for abolition were still racist and a lot of them right. that were in the parties that were for abolition would get away with still being not for abolition so you know kind of like a medicare for all sort of issue or something yeah. like that
2: <laughs> yeah
1: yeah and so
2: Abolition for all who want it. <laughs>
1: right. Yeah, yeah.
2: If you have a great slavery plan, you can keep that. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> I love my private slaves. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right.
2: My office gives us great slaves, and I'm not willing to maybe get rid of that and try something else out.
1: So the biggest... Post, probably most well-known abolitionist of the time is William Lloyd Garrison, who um, the name of his association is escaping me, but it's like... Uh, I don't know. He has a newspaper called The Liberator. Um, and he's... You know what? I think I actually figured out. The issue I think that Brown kind of uh, wouldn't budge on is that a lot of these people are what's known as a colonizationist. So they mm. still... Wanted to expand the U.S., but as a white state, and they wanted to end slavery, but they wanted to end it by putting black people on a boat and sending them to Liberia. So there's a difference. Compromise. Right. Yeah. The difference. In
0: Lincoln was a was a big proponent of of uh, colonization. Colonization. Yeah. Black colonization.
1: Yeah. Um, That's
3: how Liberia started, right? That's, uh their capital's Monrovia after James Monroe. I you know. But yeah, it's, that's it's crazy. Yeah. It's
1: weird that there's just an American like state in Africa. It's called yeah. Liberia, and it's just you know fucking the Jefferson Street or whatever. I don't. Know, it's fucking weird. <laughs> so. This is where he sort of starts to split politically with other abolitionists at the time because he noticed that they're still racist and they still are white supremacist and they still believe in like phrenology and stuff like that and they still sure. you know want like he he wants a state where people are treated equal and everyone's allowed to be here and everyone co-mingles and a lot of them didn't they wanted this like you know colonizationist shit and um, he just starts reading about slave rebellions and stuff and gets really into it. And this is the period in his life when if you're friends with John Brown, you start to notice he's been spending a lot of time in his garage working on something he won't quite tell you about, you know? (laughs) Like writing something or building something, kind of all of it, right? And so he spends a lot of time reading about Nat Turner, reading about Indian rebellions, reading about um societies known as uh, maroons basically people black people that escaped slavery and just formed towns in the woods and shit um, he's really into Haiti, you know the story of Haiti being right. that, there was a successful slave rebellion that ex- eventually expelled all other Europeans with the Fre- help of the French, and then the French just decided to turn on black people and still be colonialists. And then they fucking expelled the French too. And then they had you know black leaders and stuff. Um, I think I got that right. Toussaint is that what his name is? I don't know. Toussaint. Toussaint. Toussaint.
0: Toussaint.
1: Toussaint. Sorry. Cru-saint. Cru-saint. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Croissant.
3: Croissant.
1: Okay. Croissant. To to sandwich. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Hello. He's also really into C- Cinque, the guy who led the Amistad rebellion, and you know took over the slave ship, and then they fucking all got taken when they landed. Anyway, you know, like the movie. Um, Bummer.
0: <laughs> Does that movie hold up. I don't
1: know. Amistad? I, seen I saw, saw it, it when I
3: was a kid. Yeah.
1: Um. It tr- it's so he starts to become. Radicalized within his religious uh, religious life too, and that has a lot to do with you know the, the D- DIY make your own thing puritanical stuff. I think. Um, and one of the towns he lives in, he moves around a lot in this uh, part of the book, but in one of the towns he lives in, um, he goes into church and is horrified to see that a black family has been forced to sit in the like, the last pew in the back, and so he just makes a big speech about it and makes a big showing of inviting the family to sit in his pew and then taking him and his children and sitting in the back. Right. And the fucking church calls him in the next day and says they want to yell at him about it. And then the way he hmm. describes it is that he like just lays the fucking hammer down and uh, he had some weird quote about it and I didn't write down, but it was like, and after that they, you know, fucking fuck them or whatever. So he said that basically he. (laughs) That's how he said it. That's how he said it. He, the 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 phrase is escaping me, but uh, exactly. But basically, one of the things that one of the tenets that he really stuck to was when he would fight with like people in the church, um, is that God does not respect the laws of people. Like God doesn't like you. You're a fucking spider, bitch. You know, and he he would go. Sorry,
2: I couldn't hear you over your eight legs.
1: So you know he would say it's like if it, the it, God's law is the end all be all thing, and the, the he's fucking as ready as ever to challenge the church when it comes to this shit. Um, and so a lot of this also comes from like his worship of Oliver Cromwell. It's like one of his big heroes. He sees Cromwell and Nat Turner are kind of his two heroes uh, because you know Nat Turner, what a pair, like starts the slave rebellion in, uh, what is it, South Carolina, Virginia, one of those states, um, where he takes into the night with fucking swords and knives and shit, stabs a bunch of white people, and um, and kind of comes up with this strategy to retreat into the woods, and it's very successful, and it's very terrifying to white people, and then it... Uh, you know it's unsuccessful And they say like John Brown and Nat Turner Went to the gallows with the same frankness And just accepting and they're just like Fucking would do it again ten times over Fuck you you know Yeah, yeah.
3: I think the quote was um, Nat Turner was asked like uh, Are you still a uh, Like how, how are you Following God's law if you're getting In trouble now if you're getting executed And his response was uh, was Christ not Crucified
1: Fuck yeah no. Yeah um. And so. What's
0: interesting about Nat Turner is that he was a house, a house slave. So there was, I don't know, Malcolm X's thing about the field and the house.
1: Oh, interesting. The, uh, the house well, you know, as insert. as Brother Bill Maher said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. So, and a, a large part of the reason he loved Nat Turner so much was like tactical like he studied what Nat Turner did and he got really obsessed with the idea of retreating into the woods and then sort of like striking in the darkness from there and you know having like a network of safety in the wilderness and also you know an underground railroad type system to help people that didn't want to fight get out of there while he formulated like his battalion or whatever Um, and he also the reason it's I think Cromwell and Nat Turner are both relevant in his mind, I guess, is his two like figures is because they both uh, committed acts of political violence that is referred to by some I don't historians or whoever the fuck studies this sort of thing as literally the term is good terrorism. So <laughs> <laughs> the argument is that he, uh, you know, that what Nat Turner did was justified, which I think is pretty easy to make. And then he also really thinks that what Cromwell did was justified because he's a Puritan psycho. So Cromwell, um, overthrew and beheaded Charles the I, first, I think we getting that right. And then nice. he also, and you know, it was a revolution. He chopped the King's head off like pretty cool because, um, you know, I guess the, again, not, I don't know a lot about the theology stuff, but what happened, uh, I guess they were feeling an impression from, from this King. Right. And then he just went into Ireland and killed a bunch of fucking Catholics. And John Brown saw that as as fucking justifiable as Nat <laughs> Turner, I guess. I don't know anybody okay. of that wow. shit. Wow.
2: <laughs> Is this your man?
1: <laughs> um, well,
3: it's good. Yeah, because like we were saying earlier, like both of these guys, uh, f- the predominant historical view, especially with like Southern American historians for you know decades after this was like oh well they set it but they set the movement back because of those guys if it weren't for them we would have gotten abolition sooner which is total nonsense and is you know uh, meant to um give credence to this narrative that we gotta wait things out you gotta go for the uh incremental change and be patient and and not actually you know uh treat the these uh, situations with the gravity they deserve sometimes
1: yeah Yeah. Slavery would have ended itself. And to back up my argument, here's a completely disprovable and anachronistic fact about Frederick Douglass, you know? Yeah. Um, Right. Let's see. So the next thing that happened is in 1837, a, uh, an editor of an abolitionist, uh, newspaper, I think named Elijah Lovejoy is uh, murdered in St. Louis by a mob of pro slavery, like just people or whatever. Um, they just destroy his printing press. There's a lot of fucking with God, the Zapatista, people, or the, uh, not Zapatista, but the, um, the Mexican anarchists, the McGone brothers, Stalin, and uh, John Brown. Three things that we've covered on this show in like a fairly biographical sense. Same shit keeps happening to these fucking people. They get their office busted into and their printing press destroyed so right because that's their podcast right right (laughs) which is why
0: pottawattamie that's also an issue
1: right right uh we'll get there pretty soon um but yeah so there the stuff starts to happen where they're they're starting to actually kill abolitionists and you know there's there's uh another instance where they fucking you know they 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 tar and feather one guy they tie one guy to a raft with a bunch of like signs on it that just say old time he fucking owns on him and then just send Shit. him away <laughs> um
2: you gotta wonder like compared to being tarred and feathered if the guy on the raft is like well yeah. It could be worse. <laughs> <laughs> you got rafted. <laughs>
1: but he, I'm owned. I'm owned on the raft. He's starting to notice the violence that's coming down on abolitionists and also on like black people after these slave rebellions where they're just being, you know, just fucking brutally murdered if you get caught you know, and you don't win your rebellion or whatever. I mean, people chained a post and just left to starve to death and shit and like old-timey <sighs> medieval, the fucking wheel thing that they put you on and shit horrible stuff right but as all this stuff is happening it causes a split where it causes abolitionists at large to become non-resistant right they're saying oh there's so much violence happening we've provoked the violence if we have to do this pacifism thing in order to you know then they, they'll never be able to justify attacking us or whatever
3: fucking Quakers yeah,
1: yeah. And but there's also violence suck-
0: on the other side as you know, it he as the underground railroad kinds of kind of gets more efficient and more slaves are running away, you have the slave catchers coming up north and hunting for slaves, and there were situations where slave catchers and once a slave holder was murdered in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania.
3: Right. Was it in the Supreme Court, was there a decision about slave catchers, right? Or I don't remember. Okay, that. I'm thinking of Dred Scott, maybe. Dred
2: Scott, yeah.
0: No.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a couple decision. Of national laws uh, regarding escaped slaves and things like that. I can't really rattle them off the top of my head, but they definitely play into this sort of stuff. And yeah, uh, so while
0: uh, Freddie D was publicly a pacifist, he said in his private letters, "What will the only thing that will stop the fugitive slave act is a few dead slave catchers."
1: Mm very cool freddy <laughs> um freddy d also You're
2: not a spider are you <laughs>
1: <laughs> freddy d also meets with john brown right and oh. they sit down and they have this conversation where john brown fucking game of thrones is a, a map across the table and is pushing <laughs> shit around on it and he's explaining i read about nat turner all the time and i've got this big plan and i'm a crazy religious person and i believe that the allegheny mountains were put here by god to help me hide slaves as i mount an attack on harper's ferry right Mm. and uh (laughs) frederick Douglass is like damn and that's kind of it um but
2: (laughs) cool map
1: yeah. <laughs> Frederick Douglass is, yeah, like you said, I mean he he kind of expresses a little bit of a t- uh, apprehension about the uh the violence, but clearly he goes on to like endorse John Brown after the raid on Harpers Ferry, right? And so in building up to and imagining this raid that he's uh, eventually going to be the the focal point of his life, he um he identifies the target Harper's Ferry for a number of reasons. One of them is that that's where all the motherfucking arms are made, right? Get
0: them guns.
1: Yeah. They want to take over the guns, and he wants to destroy a lot of them. So his plan is to take a bunch of fucking rifles, arm his men, arm all the slaves, and then destroy all of the the rifles and the machinery used to make them in, its, in his wake. That way they can just sort of like, you know, to have the upper hand from that point. The other reason is because that is where the great grand of general George Washington lives. And part of his plan is to break into whatever the fuck this guy's Washington's name house is with a bunch of freed black dudes and find what he knows to be in his possession, which is, George Washington's sword and revolver, right? And his plan is to steal it and give it to black people just to make a spectacle over it, which is <laughs> ah, so good, awesome. right? So fucking funny. Um, he's also doing things at this time, like uh, he's reading. He's reading about a lot of the other, you know, abolitionists at the time that approach violence or at least talk about it or you know maybe get somewhere closer than like the the abolitionists who now as a movement are fairly pacifistic so Uh um one of the other guys he likes is named the branded hand (laughs) (laughs) oh he's a sailor who uh basically was born in um uh fuck can't remember off the top of my head but uh i think west indies or something like that and then but he's an american he comes back he's just living in the florida keys he's got a boat And he gets into abolitionist shit and one night a bunch of freed slaves or a bunch of escaped slaves walk up to him and they start talking to him and they go, Hey man, don't you think that we would do an American revolution? Like we, if we had the means, like we're the same as Americans, like that's why you should help us. And he's just like, yeah, that makes sense. Get in my boat. And so he gets in the boat uh, and he's just kind of trying to escape to an island with them and they get caught and they the uh, military brands the letters SS onto his hand, and Fuck. he's in jail for a year. And when he gets out, he's just this hardcore abolitionist, like you know, underground railroad agent. With a they call what him. What does SS stand for? I couldn't find it. It's not in the book. But he like somebody writing about him afterwards says
0: scallywag, shit,
2: <laughs> super scallywag, <laughs> super scallywag superstition <laughs>
1: um there's a poem about him where they i can't remember who wrote it but he's saying like it actually stands for salvation of but i don't fucking know you know but everyone <laughs> took creative license with it but anyway the branded hand that's pretty cool um there's also like an anarchist um named L- Lysander Spooner who he sort of has a back and forth with who you know they have similar ideas, but they ultimately kind of um, they ultimately disagree in terms of the violence. But after John Brown went to jail after Harper's Ferry, Lysander Spooner did like start a fund to basically break him out of prison. They just didn't have enough money. Um. So.
2: Classic anarchist. <laughs>
1: One of the, yeah, right. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> oh man, we just need a little bit of extra. Okay.
4: Uh, Dude, we're
2: going <laughs> to, if we can, we'll all make a song and we'll have a punk mixtape. And then that's going to get the money to get John out.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and they're just hanging him. Um, at one point he forms a militia. Uh, called the League of Gileadites, who are a bunch of local black men. He's um, uh, convinced to, you know, to form a small army with him. The reason he calls them the League of Gileadites is because from the fucking Old Testament, <laughs> he names them after this thing called Mount Gilead, which is like where some crazy shit that he cares about happens involving like Israel and people being tested and shit. Um, and sure. he's
0: just it's also where the handmade sale happens
1: interesting wow. no really um, learning can be fun wait.
0: and it's also the maker of remdesivir
1: right it's the evil the company that's trying to form a, a monopoly on um, the coronavirus vaccine yeah and the AIDS medicine oh my god I don't think he knew that though <laughs> I mean his so bad
3: we don't have John Brown around to, to raid that place
1: fuck yeah He'd be like, wear a mask. Why would you wear a mask? <laughs> Where's your
2: mask? <laughs> <What>? <laughs> He'd flog everyone without a
0: mask.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He totally would have been one of those people. Um, So, it's... it's, I mean, he's a nerd, like, with this God stuff. Because he's, like, he's freeing... Or he's he's finding freed black men and then just, like, convincing them to join... A gang where the theme is your archangels, right? And I'm sold. He's really into the <laughs> spears and the swords and stuff. Um, he constantly references this hymn from the Bible called Blow Ye the Trumpet Blow, which is what they played at his funeral. Um, and he's basically becoming more and more radical, uh, and especially during a time when he lives in. Place called North Elba, and North Elba is it's like it's this stretch of land where a lot of these do it yourself, do whatever you want, weirdo cults are happening. And outside of even the Quaker stuff and the Mormon stuff, there are a lot of oddly enough, like free love, just hippie societies. Um, there are cults that get really far from the Jesus and just really into like the polyamory and shit. Um, Okay, one of them is called Oneda. They're one of the more famous ones that basically. And the, the 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 point of these societies is utopianism. You know, you're in this new land. There's plenty of space. You can go out into a field, start your own fucking town if you want, and build just a society all on your own and. What's interesting is, Sean. Sean has a good history as a weapon on like Utopia, and he talks about this a lot, like Oneda specifically. Um, but like, there they y- Oneda eventually became a silverware company, and then they just packed up <laughs> the Colt Town, and the only way to make it make sense anymore was it to become a company that just sells silverware. And there's like three. Yeah, I'm gonna want to. I'm gonna want to wash that silverware a few times before I use it. <laughs> if you know what I mean? <laughs> Um, Boom, (laughs) But this is where like You know Cutco and shit like that Comes from it's like why why is it Oh this is a family company that's been here For a hundred years you know It's because it used to not be about the silverware at all That was just the only way to sustain the Whatever the fuck was going on Out there right But John Brown is living in His own version of that And there's a famous author who comes through And is like Who Redpath? Oh no! Somebody else. Go I don't know. I forgot the person's name. Um, but there's an author that comes through and writes a lot about how they had like breakfast with John and they and his family, and they're just like horrified because there's just some black guy, and he's just like, oh hey, Mister whatever his last, he calls him Mister, and then his last name, and he sits down, and they all eat like equals, and it's just the weirdest thing that this author has ever seen, you know? And Brown just does stuff like that where. You know, he either isn't aware of how weird the situation is to other white people, or he's purposely like, what's so weird about this man? You want to say it, you know, like puts them in that situation,
2: right? He's triggering them.
1: <laughs> yeah. You triggered
2: he's asking if they're triggered and then, and then they make the soy face.
1: Yeah. He hates the soy face. Um. <laughs>
2: If there's one thing I can't stand, <laughs> it's that soy face.
1: <laughs> so, around the time he's living here, this is when he's planning the raid on Harper's Ferry, and he almost goes through with it, like about four years earlier, but he stopped because he asks his men in his militia, who are black, you know, their advice, and they talk him out of it, and they tell him you should probably focus on Kansas right now because this is during a time when Kansas is like becoming a state this is, this is where i'm like fuck if i was a better podcaster i'd have the details on this but the but general idea of what's going on is that you know it's a newly formed state and it's a hotly contested area in the battle for slavery and so
0: it's because of the Kansas-Nebraska Act
1: thank you history teacher <laughs>
0: 1857 um, no, no I'm sorry 1854 I'm sorry I don't know the date but they basically decided, we're going to get our
3: people on the we got a research <laughs> team uh,
0: they basically decided like in Congress what are we going to do with these territories how are we going to decide if we're going to allow slavery there or not and so they had this brilliant idea to have popular sovereignty which means basically people would vote on it so the natural thing that would happen was people would or into the region to get the state to be, you know, pro slavery or a free state leading like naturally leading to violence.
3: It was 54 by the way.
0: 54. I got it right.
1: I was going to guess 54. Okay. Well, so yeah, that's actually why this becomes a a hotly contested area because it's, you know, this new space that has popular sovereignty and so People are migrating to it to try to win this, you know, the, the, the other war, the war of, are we going to have fucking slavery or not? Um, and this becomes an issue that he decides like, okay, you know, due to some business dealings, I'm in a situation where I'm like, I got to choose between staying here, going to Harvard's Ferry or going to Kansas and he decides to go to Kansas, but he sends his sons first um and this is where we're going to get into this concept of border ruffians so there are these people who live in like Missouri who are going like you said over the border into Kansas to vote in what is not entirely a legitimate system because they're not citizens of Kansas and they are enacting all these laws that are really 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 hardcore pro slavery laws but they're so hardcore that they're like not even it's like a joke. Like no one would they're they're yeah. saying it they're enacting they're voting for laws where it like it's legal to kill an abolitionist on site. And no one's really enforcing them because it's like pretty understood to be like crazy, you know? Um but there's this just contingent of border r- ruffians who are all these like drunk riverboat guys who carry revolvers and drink whiskey and curse right not
2: in an endearing way
1: yeah (laughs) (laughs) and they're so offensive to the browns (laughs) because you know they're uptight religious people so here's what happens right owen frederick and salmon get on a steamboat called the new lucy it's full of border ruffians and they're Basically, on a boat that's going down the Missouri River that's going to land them in Kansas so they can set up the first outpost for the Browns to move into Kansas to do like political action. The three sons are on the new Lucy and it's full of these crazy riverboat gambler guys. And then they're one of their one of them has a son named Austin who dies of cholera as children are wont to do. And one night, the steamboat is stopped, and so they go outside onto the ground to bury Austin, their dead cholera child, in the middle of a lightning thunderstorm. And as a mm. joke, the captain of the boat leaves them <laughs> in just the, <laughs> the the a joke. yeah. That is
2: very funny. I mean, <laughs> context is everything, but your child's funeral is ruined now.
1: <laughs> I mean just a bunch of drunk laughing like wild wild west steampunk characters just taking off on a boat like ha 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 gotcha I they
0: were li- how they were like let's lighten the mood um, <laughs> <laughs> right make them think that they're gonna die too
2: the new Lucy is supposed to be a fun ship, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Vibe check on the Lucy. Let's get rid of this fucking giant family of uh, God rappers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, Wait, so did they get stuck there?
1: No, they just got on a wagon. They found a wagon and then they fucking got to, to, <laughs> to Kansas. And by the time they got to Kansas... It wasn't
0: a joke. The boat didn't come back.
1: No, I mean, in the book... At least according to this guy's research, the captain did it as a joke. He thought it was funny (laughs) because, you know, because I think what's going on is that they were stuck on a fucking boat with these Puritans, but the boat's full of these border ruffians who are all fun, drunk people who are like, yeah, you know, they're pro-slavery and they're violent and they're crass and stuff. And they already hate them for political reasons, but they also just hate them (laughs) for personality reasons. So they just because they're
2: ruffians. fucking they're
1: ruffians. leave them out in then the wait, wilderness. They were
0: pro slavery.
1: The border. Yes,
2: they're ruffians. The
1: border ruffians, yeah. yes. I mean, that's why yeah. they. are
2: nasty ruffians. Okay, now I get it.
1: So, yeah, and it's like, you know, people are starting to hear about the Browns, so they might even know, you know, what they're up to. And This
2: is also just a classic example of people not knowing what a joke is.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, He
3: committed Um, to a bit there
1: Yeah The punchline was when your child died of cholera
3: (laughs) And the act out is
2: abandoning them in the funeral
1: (laughs) Are you triggered by my joke You triggered Um, Uh, So Yeah uh, What happens next is that John Brown leaves later and on his way he stops in ohio to give some slavery speeches he just kind of gives speeches everywhere he goes and stock up on guns cuz he's starting to you know get his plans together so he buys some some rifles some revolvers and a bunch of heavy short broad swords for some reason Ooh. right
3: <laughs> heavy short Okay. Yeah. So if you get somebody really close to you, you can uh, jam it in their guts and is this to Uh-oh. fight in a cave maybe?
1: We'll find out. Um, these come back into the picture later. So as they, you know, they're they're making their way into Kansas, the violence is really ramping up. And there is a free stater named Reese P Brown who's violently murdered. Um You know, they stab him a bunch of times and leave him on his wife's doorstep or on his his own doorstep where his family lives. Right. Um, As
2: a joke.
1: As a joke. Better Uh, than the boat one. The the caning of Sumner happens, Uh, which is, you know, basically a a pro-slavery politician listens to... I don't even know if he listened to it. He heard another politician, Sumner, give a speech in which he does like a clever joke about the guy and uh so the pro-slavery politician just beats the shit out of him at his desk with his cane
2: with a cane yeah, yeah he
0: calls the slave power states whores
1: Ooh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's <what he> does. <laughs> like as a metaphor and that's why he what's gets the his ass beat.
3: what's the full metaphor that they're Working for the slave. They're like blowing the slave owners. Exactly. Okay.
2: <laughs> right.
1: Oh, Good bit. That's the thing, right? He gets a little bit. He does. He's roasts the roast master. And yeah. then uh, you find out it's not a two way street, right? You're not allowed to be mean back. And that creates like an interesting power dynamic, right? So what's going on here at the time is that, all of the pro-slave propaganda against the abolitionists in Kansas is that they're pussies, right? And that <laughs> they, yeah. they basically, they take Lawrence and they're met with zero resistance. And so they celebrate afterwards and they're like, yeah, these abolitionist pussies are not going to do shit. Like we can just take over their towns and stuff. And this yeah, makes- and
0: Brown was disappointed in them too. He thought they were pussies too.
1: Exactly. Well, it's made his, it's made John Brown matter and matter because he was like you're proving them right. Like why are you fucking not fighting back? And I guess the context in which his murders occur is that the violence is ramping up to the point where I think John Brown went on to explain what he did as self-defense, even though he sought out and killed a couple people. Things were happening. Like, you know, all these people were getting stabbed and lynched and stuff like that. And, and there were these black laws in place where technically it was legal to murder someone if they just were an abolitionist at all. And there is this, so he goes undercover into a pro slavery militia at one point. And the story is that he overhears them Like talking about him and describing how they, they're like, if I ever see those Browns, I will kill them. You know, but they say it like Yosemite Sam or some shit because of the time.
2: Right, and he's there with like a strap on mustache, like, yes, me too. (laughs) (laughs) I'm, I'm a, I'm salmon. I love slavery.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, so all this sort of comes to a head when this pro-slavery judge named John P. Cato issues warrants for the entire Brown family. And the Browns show up to court, but with basically the express interest of going like, what the fuck are you going to do about it? You you can't enforce these these laws. And there's a moment here where his kids are starting to uh let me see if i can find the fucking quote like his kids are like kind of put in a weird situation cuz they're like wait like what we're going to do what you know and uh <laughs> Here's the, here's the line from the book. His sons, John and Jason never forget the day when John Brown persuaded family members to pledge themselves to armed warfare against slavery. The two were sitting by the fire with Owen and mother when their father addressed them soberly. As John Jr. recalled, he told the four of his determination to make war on slavery, not such war as was equality equally, equally as was equally the purpose of the non-resistant abolitionists, but war by force and arms. He said he had long entertained such a purpose. He asked the four if they were willing to make a common cause with him in doing all in our power to break the jaws of the wicked and pluck the spoil out of his teeth. After they assented, he kneeled in prayer and asked each to take an oath of secrecy and devotion to the purpose of fighting slavery by force and and arms to the extent of our ability. And then they were like, what is wrong with dad?
2: (laughs) (laughs) You see, boys, slavery is a spider. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's so awkward, because you kind of have to do it. Or just not talk to your dad ever again. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, yeah, they're starting to reflect on, like, but they're also like you know a pretty patriarchal family, and it's interesting though because like the, the people that went over to John Brown's house would say that he uh, he was he wasn't he was pretty good on gender stuff like all the kids did the same chores equally and stuff, um, but he still was like I'm the father right, and right s- so they kind of just had to do what he said I think and. As this court case is happening, he's running out into the street and yelling, like, the names of his militia and stuff, and going, fucking fuck around and find out, like, do something about it. And no one arrests anyone, and later on, he identifies um, three different houses, and he comes and gets his children, and he's got a wild look in his eye, and he's like, get the guns, get the fucking swords, we're going to go do this, and <laughs> you know, we're going to do a second part to this, so if I miss some of the specific parts of the story of why it was these specific guys, maybe I'll get to that next week. I, I can't remember off the top of my head exactly. Wait,
0: but before this, you also have the sack of Lawrence, where they destroy the printing presses.
1: Right, okay. So let's stop real quick and round up before we get to the actual Potawatomi. How the fuck is it pronounced? Pottawatomunununununununununununununununununununununununununununununununununununununununununununununununununununununununununununununununununununun Ah. Yeah. Oh it's just Heating up Oh oh, oh, boy So I guess Naomi can you provide any specific Background context like uh, Like for example yeah the the Sack of Lawrence
0: Yeah so about 800 or a thousand Border ruffians went to the town Of Lawrence they met with like Little or no resistance And Brown's sons were there At that time
2: Wow. So that's like another 800 to 1,000 of them.
0: Yeah. I'm not sure how many people were in the town, but that's how many people came and tried to destroy the town. And they destroyed some of the buildings. And um, this was the same year that the the, the caning of Sumner happened. So all these things happened at once. And that's what led to this midnight massacre in
1: Potawatomi. Yeah, and I mean the there was so much violence being normalized in the South on behalf of slavery and this portrayal of the abolitionists in the North as being pussies, right? As being pacifists and pushovers and more and more license being felt, you know, not just to enact the violence of slavery, but to just kick anyone's ass who disagrees with you, kill them, Kill. terrorize them and their family, it starts to reach kind of a boiling point, right? So John Brown yeah. decides he's going to make like his hero Nat Turner and descend in the night with swords that he bought last week on the way to fucking Kansas, right? And so... Little ones... They go short, short, short. to yeah, little blunty broadswords, broad um, like Renaissance fair Small, swords. Small, wide swords. And like the swords, the symbolism of this is archangel shit, right? So he's like, he's never before gone straight up into, I mean, he's gone into like sort of um, like mil- like battles before to some extent, like skirmishes and things like that. But this is an assassination. I mean, they show up to this guy's house. They do this basically three separate houses. They show up. They bang on the door as loud as possible. The person wakes up, and then they say, like, uh, could you give me directions to the this other house I'm trying to find? And like, they won't answer the door and they just goad him into coming outside and going, we just, could you just help me? I need directions. And when, when the person comes outside, they fucking aim the guns at him and go, you're being imprisoned for, you know, uh, pro-slavery terrorism or whatever. And they will like basically tie the person's hands behind their back, put them on a horse and go tell their family. We're taking them, uh, you know, to be imprisoned. And then they just stop like halfway down the road and John Brown didn't do it, man. He told his kids to do it. He put a sword in John Jr. and Salmon's hand. I think it was Owen and Salmon. I can't. I think John Jr. might not have been there. Doesn't matter. He's got 20 fucking kids. But Salmon and Owen were there for sure. And he has them just... Declan. <laughs> he has them tack the shit out of these dudes with renaissance fair swords and like they're found the next day just like half in the river with just their brains coming out and shit and like hands cut off and stuff and you know and their
0: faces mutilated
1: yeah and what they said is that you know they, they were able to do this three times in the same night interestingly enough the third assassination took place after the stroke of midnight on saturday which may, meant it was technically Sunday, which normally uh, John Brown doesn't do shit on Sunday. Just <laughs> yeah. so to stop with the the sword, like it, in the guy,
3: just like a little bit, like uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you, you got to drop, drop it. it.
0: person asking you to push the elevator button. Yeah, yeah. can you
2: stab <laughs> this guy, please? <laughs> well, you got to think by the third one they go, dude, they got to be covered in brains. Trying to get the guy to come outside Be like I spilled something And I need directions
1: They uh Yeah I mean You could have been like you're lucky It's brunch o'clock you know I gotta go But he's fucking decided (laughs) to just go through with it And kill the third guy And the way the sons tell the story Is that the adrenaline Carried them through the entire Endeavor but as soon as They wore it wore off salmon was just throwing up like a rookie cop like what what did we just do
2: (laughs) right well because they were mutilating and murdering strangers with swords you mean
1: (laughs) yeah he's just like and they start to ask their father you know was it okay what we did and throughout the rest of his life he just sort of like this is where the argument for insanity kind of makes sense because he just different answers on it or he just feels guilty and he says you know well but Not me, God. You know what? God wanted me to do it and all this stuff. Um, Right. He
0: denied being there for a while.
1: Yeah. Sometimes he denied being there, but you know the defense. Uh, That
2: was salmon. Salmon's crazy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, But the the thing he said that actually makes sense to some level is that it was an act of self defense, which, you know, I mean, this is during a time and place when people were actively plotting to murder him and telling him they were going to do it because of you know he was an abolitionist and uh, you know it was legal to murder an abolitionist so that's right he He
2: correctly deduced that he was at war and just acted first but also he might have separately been crazy as a bag of cats
1: entirely possible he was a serial killer who was on the right side of history you know
2: Yeah.
0: (laughs) yeah but I'm not sure like the targets weren't chosen very carefully, like I think he just—it was kind of random.
1: No. Well, that's the part where I was struggling to get my notes together right before we recorded this, and I'm gonna have to just answer that question on the next episode because I want to say well, those like three of those guys were at his uh, court case, and I want to say there's a direct reason for why he chose them, but I can't tell you what it is because I forgot.
2: Now, yeah. is it random or did God choose them <laughs> Consider
1: <because of> that? <laughs>
0: the, the chosen people.
1: Yeah, I mean, there is kind of an argument in his mind of like, well, anything that was going to happen was like is predetermined. I mean, even after the raid in Harper's Ferry, he did not feel remorseful that it didn't work because the fact that immediately upon assessing that it didn't work, he just said, well, then God didn't want it to work. Which is also also
0: blamed Frederick Douglass for not
1: joining him for not (laughs) hiving.
2: (laughs) Damn, Freddie D. If Noam Chomsky would sign my letter, this wouldn't be a problem. (laughs) (laughs)
1: He also he would also say that when he would lose money, him and his father both, when they were just lost shit tons of money, they'd be like, "Well, I suppose the Lord wants me to be poor today." (laughs)
2: <laughs> shit <laughs> Jesus does not want me to buy a boat
1: <laughs> anyways that's uh that's where I'm kind of let up and then next week we'll do the rest of the story through the harper's ferry raid um but yeah man right. first blood with fucking swords oh also I forgot apparently the story goes he did shoot the final guy directly in the head execution style <laughs> which is really cool nice sick. Yeah.
0: Cool. Are you gonna talk about Asanowatomi?
1: Um, didn't get to it. But we will. And if you want to talk about it right now, Don't we can't.
2: Spoil it for Jake. Should I not spoil it? <laughs> Jake is on episode three of John Brown, the six part miniseries series.
3: Yeah. Well there's actually gonna be one that we honestly should get some some uh, dollars from for um uh, getting people John Brown hungry. Uh the Ethan hockey right, series John coming up yeah,
0: yeah. Those precious clothes. yeah all, yeah all I wanted to say about also Osawatomi <laughs> is that it was it was a true military victory that Brown had later by defending a town with very few people opposed to a lot of border ruffians and that's what gave him this immense fame right after Potawatomi, and he totally Disassociated
2: from that event And he was just like I'm the guy from Asuwatomie <laughs> what? You're, you're getting hot pa- Me? No, 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 no Asuwatomie Oh, uh, damn You got me feeling John Brown hungry <laughs> <laughs>
1: all right, As the saying goes
2: <laughs> the, the, the saying we all use
1: <sighs> Well That was a big long fucking episode uh, That's all that I gotta awesome. say I'm am um, John Brown exhausted, to be honest with you. Might <laughs> even out. might even say J- John Brown horny.
2: Hey, hmm.
1: John Brown's hey. body.
2: John Brown horny. Well, <laughs> yeah. I am excited for next week's events where yeah. we see what happens in the John Brown trilogy.
1: Next time on Dragon Ball Z, you know. <laughs> yeah.
2: Will John Brown end slavery? Will <laughs> the border ruffians return. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> this is the steampunk hooligans. I think they're they're one of my favorite characters. They suck. Um, All right. Well, anyone want to plug anything before we get out of here?
3: I have a plug, actually. Um, the NFL team in the Washington, D.C. area is considering changing their name. And uh, I have been... Uh, a longstanding proponent of changing it to the hogs because there yes. is a history within the franchise the uh, offensive i believe the offensive linemen in the 1980s were called the hogs they have a uh, sort of gender fluid fan group called the hoggets men who wear uh, um, dresses and pig noses to the to the games perfect name hogs and i'm going to be so upset if they choose any other name to replace so Redskins.
0: For
2: it
3: or uh, at them. At them on social media. Tell them we want hogs. We want the name to
2: be the hogs. That's my plug. That's a good plug.
1: Good plug. Um another well, Podcast is while you mad. Sign up for our Patreon. More of this shit on Patreon. That's it. More on Patreon.
2: Follow me what? on Twitter at Patak Jokes. Listen to my other podcast, Balling Out Super, where we recap the events of Dragon Ball Z. Very similar to John Brown. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's I'm it at for me. Naomi Caravani.
1: All right. His his race is, his anti-racism is five thousand. Is the God level is rising? Jewish (laughs)
2: Frieza. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why I made him that voice. Oh God! (laughs) He's the strongest warrior I've ever
1: seen. All right. Well, let's let's get out of here before that bit goes any further.
2: (laughs) Uh, Saying monkeys are out of control. All right. Thanks so
1: much for having
0: me.
1: You're welcome. Thanks for coming on. It's finished.
2: Finished. let's do some poppers y'all
1: hell yeah (laughs) wait actually the podcast isn't over uh there's one more part it's another interview and then it's over okay bye now joining me on the show is adam from not your inspiration adam tell my listeners who you are and what your organization is
4: yeah, thanks, Jake. My name is Adam Fogel-Naughton, Adam F. Naughton, um, and I guess you could call it an organization. It's I nah, – I don't know what to call it, but it's a, a project, I think, is probably the best description. Um, NotYourInspiration.org, uh, the hashtag NotYourInspiration, um, it's something that uh, has kind of been my covid Quarantine project, so, so to speak Um, at the beginning of all this I heard someone saying something about like Um, you know, what are you going to have to show At the end of all this quarantine or something And I was like, yeah, okay, well, maybe I should do something So, um, I'd been getting bombarded On uh, this Twitter This is uh, your Macbeth
1: or whatever the fuck the Yeah, the meme right
4: was. <laughs> Exactly, yeah, yeah. So I've been, I've been fucking getting bombarded On Twitter with these ads This is probably March it's when all the COVID stuff began, which seems like 20 years ago. But um, I, I'm I was getting bombarded on Twitter for these advertisements uh, sponsored by Hyundai USA um, f- with a clip from the Ellen Show, um, and it was this this mother in the audience. Uh, her daughter had uh, cerebral palsy and had just um, like kind of recently uh, learned how to how to walk for the first time with crutches and and so Ellen's playing this this clip and they bring the mom up and they talk about how inspiring this is. And Oh my God, this is amazing. And uh, ushers up there for some fucking reason. I'm not still not sure why. <laughs> and they like, they like bring this woman up and like, basically like give her a job as I think what they ended up giving her, which in itself is like insulting. But, um, i mean like a shit job at like hyundai a hyundai dealership or something but but what really really upset me and upsets a lot of other disabled people about that kind of shit um is that it's not it doesn't help us it's extremely unhelpful for us um uh it has a it has a a a Name that was coined by the late, great Stella Young. Uh, uh, she gave a TED Talk in 2014, uh, shortly before she died, that um, it's nine minutes long. Everyone needs to go watch it, listen to it. Um, but in that talk, she she really coined the term inspiration porn um, and essentially uh, defined inspiration porn as any any attempt by non-disabled people to use our struggle as disabled people to make themselves feel better which is in oh, essence people would never what, do that what do you mean <laughs> um, right yeah no fucking never um and so you know that um from that was the the core of what really what really frustrated me about that clip is, is that it sends just a, an absolute shit message to those of us who can't ever get up and, and walk who can't, you know, I'm not going to get up and, and I have spinal muscular atrophy. I'm, I'm going to be this way, even with like a, a cure or, or whatever in the future, I'm still, I'm going to be in a wheelchair for the rest of my life. So um, I, I've accepted it. I, you know, it's a part of my life. It's a part of who I am. And to, to, to be bombarded with information like that, that says, Um, you need to overcome that. It's, it really wears you down after a while, especially when you're a kid seeing shit like that on TV, you know, you come home from school, you turn on Ellen and you, you know, you think about a girl who's similar to that girl in that clip. Who's who's like me though. And like, you're not going to walk, right? Like it's just, the the likelihood is, is near zero. The message it sends to her is like, what, you know, you're, you're nothing, you know, you're not good enough. You're not going to be able to overcome this. This is what we celebrate. We celebrate the people who overcome the shit, but ultimately what's really gross about it is that it is that it's, it's purely exploitative and it's, and it's purely non-disabled people using us just to make themselves feel better. Like, Oh shit, man, look at, look what that girl had to go through. I am so fucking happy. I am not her. Right. Right. And that may make you feel better, but then you, you know, this is where like radical empathy is something that is huge to me. Like I immediately think, what is it like for that girl? What's it like for the girl that, that has, is on the other side of that, that you're saying, I'm glad I'm not you. And, and as the person who has been that girl (laughs) a shitload of times, like it is, does not feel good. It does not feel good at all. Um, I'm working on, um, I'm working on something right now. My next piece is going to be about this picture that keeps fucking recirculating of a kid. Um, uh, his, I forget his name right now. I'm still like researching Matthew Stanford Robeson. He died in 1999, but, um, he was a, a, a he was like 10 years old when he died, I think, but he had a number of, of disabilities and, um, his father made him a head, uh, a gravestone that's uh, basically a picture of like a kid like floating out of his wheelchair into the sky. (laughs) And so like, I mean like the father's intent, like, you know, I feel for the guy, right. It's (laughs) like, but, but this fucking picture continues to pop up over and over again on the internet. The first time I think I remember it was probably like 2008, 2009, but then I remember like 2013 and then like four years later. And then just earlier this month, and this is why I'm, I I like writing about it um, just earlier this month, it, it went viral on Reddit again. It, it like every three or four years, it gets like a hundred thousand upvotes on Reddit. Like I, someone will post it and be like this father's son. And but well, the problem with that, that image <laughs> Is that it sends a very clear message to us that the only way you're ever going to be free of this burden and burden is the word that's often used to describe what he's overcoming. The only way you are ever going to be free of this burden is by dying. And, and <laughs> conversely, the best thing you can do for us is to die the yeah. best the, you want to help society die. That's essentially the message that I internalize when I see something like that. And a lot of disabled people do. And I did when I was a kid and, and, and you know uh, it definitely led me to some very dark places. I mean, I, you know, that was a, a, a very difficult time in my life and being bombarded constantly with messages like that, where I was the person that, uh, that wasn't as good. was not helpful at all, man. It really wasn't.
1: Yeah, you see a lot of that similar messaging in, like, um, early, well, a lot of stuff that's still going, um, autism stuff, where the message is like, you know, we're going to fix you, or something, or someday you'll be better. And it's like, no,
4: you're
1: asking for a world where, you know, (laughs) this is normal, and you're not weird about it,
4: Yeah. How about I just am who I am? And like, for sure, let's fucking invest in medicine, right? Like, I, I'm all for that. Like, that's wonderful. But that isn't the only part of disability. And that's that gets down to something, something deeper. And, and essentially where this project has gone, this has really evolved far beyond inspiration porn now at this point to where I've really started to probe – the 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 economic and and social systems of oppression that continue to keep disabled people at the absolute bottom of our hierarchies and and try to talk about what that actually means in real terms for real people trying to just live real normal lives you know we're often thought of as these one-dimensional people and that's another aspect of this inspiration porn is it just paints us as these flat fucking two-dimensional characters right and like i'm not i'm yeah i'm a dude in a wheelchair who has spinal muscular atrophy and that may be the first thing you notice about me is my my big ass wheelchair but like I'm also dad. Like, I love jam bands, you know? Like, I, I like <laughs> history. Like, I have a yeah. lot of, sh- like, I'm a person too, you know? Yeah. Well, I'm going like, to take a little
1: bit of an issue with the jam band thing, but I'm on board for nah, That's route. fine. We can, <laughs> like, we
4: can have that discussion. But, like, I Music needs like rules, to be thought yeah. of as just a person in that conversation and not like, oh, the crippled dude over there in the corner, right? Like, like I could be at that table, and, and a lot of the times we're not at the table. You know, not we're not where decisions are made, uh, especially decisions about us. Um, a lot of government entitlement programs and disability charities are run by people who don't actually have disabilities. So we, <laughs> the the stu- and, and the fact of the matter is that only one in five Americans can actually seek the means to survive through the employment system. Um, where where a lot of this pro- where this project has led me is is into a lot of research that martha russell did uh, unfortunately she died in 2013 but she was incredible um, a very very great uh, um, activist who was as far as i can tell one of the very few people who's ever really worked like at the intersection of disability and socialist theory like in the modern modern era and in the like in the way we vision, interpret disability, like in the 21st century. But, um, there haven't been a lot of people who worked at that area. That's what, So I started to kind of realize that when I did, was, was unfolding wherever this project was going to go, like, because, you know, the, the premise that I, that I came to is with inspiration porn is that it is the result of the competitive, Structures in which we live like that shit isn't necessary in a cooperative society, right? Like if we live in a democratic right. equal just cooperative society where I have uh, I have autonomy over myself and I can I can make decisions that impact me I get to make those decisions and that system like there's no need for shit like inspiration porn like it did it only exists as a byproduct of this shitty competitive world that we live in where Hyundai has to take our struggles and package them in a way that's going to help them sell cars. While Ellen can also make her audience feel good at the same time. And everybody makes a buck. And then meanwhile, we suffer, right? Like we, nothing happens for us and, and we get the shit end of that. We have, so, so ultimately in that world, um, a cooperative hand, hand in hand world where we're like, Hey, how can we help each other? There's no need for it. So, so that premise that I, I kind of took that I, I I firmly believe that, that this crap, this garbage, stuff like this comes out of capitalism and out of competitive economies and competitive systems Of power and that the only way we're ever going to actually rid ourselves of this shit and the real, real stuff, the real crap we have to live with on a daily basis is by getting rid of those competitive systems entirely. Like we have to absolutely gut that shit, throw it out, get rid of it and start with something cooperative because otherwise we are going to be, we as disabled people are going to be fighting these same battles forever. Ever and we're never we're gonna lose. We continue to lose because it, we're physically disadvantaged. We're stuck. We're pushed economically to the margins, to the sideline. It's a it is a daunting daunting task just to make any progress. Here's we got my favorite bumper sticker right here that that uh, adapt one of the few radical. Um, like leftist disabled organization. They're not even really that anymore that exists, but um, I need to go put this on my car, but it basically says ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act, which is now 30 years old to boldly go where everyone else has gone before. <laughs> like that's basically like, that's basically what we're fucking trying to do. Right. We're yeah. just, we're stuck economically, systemically. We are stuck out of the system and the, 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 that's not an accident. It's, it's by design. It's by design. So that's really the work that I'm trying to like explore on this project in the not like academic-y, ivory tower way, but in this kind of conversation of, like, hey, this shit actually does impact my life and it impacts other disabled people as well. And the fact that I'm a disabled person who can advocate for myself, I think makes it even more important that I that I do so for the other people who may not be able to.
1: Yeah, well, that's a much more admirable project than, uh, I guess, what I think. So you said this is based off of having inspired by having seen those Ellen ads targeted at yeah you. well I, I think it's you just reminded it was me of like something a
4: campaign too man it was like a like you clicked on it there were like five six seven different tweets that they were like promoting with this with different versions of this clip if you go to not your org, the video I have at the very top I juxtaposed that clip with Stella Young's 2014 TED talk um, to kind of drive home the point that this is cringy gross shit that should not exist
1: yeah no I think you got a really good uh, project here both in terms of being a material like like project and also a good cultural point to make um i was just gonna say this is stupid but it just reminded me of those targeted ads and uh i keep getting i don't know what i mean i guess you know they figure out what you're talking about and then they started oh, yeah. just market stuff towards you and I but I'm a comedian and you know it's all irony and stuff so i have just broken the algorithm and uh, my Facebook has just been advertising like tactical belts and bulletproof vests and <laughs> like shirts <laughs> with like little cats on them and then boner pills. And uh, oh, nice. I guess my point being I'm glad that you followed through You're with like, oh, your projects in quarantine and <laughs> I didn't, whatever the fuck that was supposed to be. <laughs>
4: <laughs> uh dude you went to jail that's a way cooler project than anything i've done so yeah. mad respect for that
1: well I mean, you got,
4: you, you actually got out to go. went out and protested i unfortunately didn't um i really couldn't um i wanted to so bad but i was like fuck man that's not a smart idea especially when i got a toddler like <laughs> i don't need to be out there yeah it, myself that's killed the thing. For- i
1: don't have any kids so i can go be a dumbass about it <laughs> Risk again, <laughs> COVID.
4: Well, I appreciate you. See, I appreciate you being a dumbass for me because I wanted to be out there with you, man.
1: Yeah, I know. That's why I go out there and I just go extra hard, extra stupid. Go hard. So because yeah. I know someone I know wants to and can't. Anyway, oh, right. that, uh, I'm that guy.
4: You, man. <laughs> um,
1: yeah, I don't know. This all makes a lot of sense. The inspiration porn thing is really interesting. I, I think you've sort of isolated where it exists, which is kind of uh, something analogous to, I guess, you know, all things that get regurgitated, all struggles that are regurgitated through capitalism like this. Um, it's kind of reminding me both of like, what if Hamilton was just everyone was in wheelchairs, and also of um, that game show where they pay off your student loans if you win. And then how are we supposed to yeah. feel about this, you know, thing that is incredibly insufficient to the problem, but like, Kind of pats yourself on the back for understanding the struggle of like one person or something. Because I mean, I I work in comedy and it's, you know, I mean, serious things are going down there's a serious conversation happening regarding white supremacy in this country and you know the answer to it mm-hmm. is going to be in my industry is going to be to hire a few people of color and that's like this thing where you go yeah that's great and i'm glad my friend got a job but i know what you're doing and i think it's this inspiration yep. porn thing where everyone goes oh we all feel good now now we're not gonna address the yeah. entire mode of distribution or whatever
4: Right. And that's that's where Martha Russell's writings are great because she really digs into this this concept of, of how civil rights alone is not enough like and, and you know those kind of affirmative action type things are, I mean they're great right like it's better than than the nothing that we're doing now but but it's in no way a solution uh, civil rights alone cannot, accomplish the uh, equality and justice that we actually are trying to seek the liberation from oppression because that oppression is not something that can be curbed by civil rights. It's the, the system itself is designed that way. So we need, obviously it's important to fight for those things, but at the same time we, we have to fight for the, the structural change too. And so that's where the, like the centrists are like, yeah, let's do the fucking lipstick on the pig shit. Let's make it look good. And, uh, and then not actually do anything to gut all the rot that that exists, you know, v- under there. Like it's just, we're going to paint over it and we're going to make it look good with some affirmative action hires and it may marginally improve something. Right. But I'm not about marginal change anymore, man. Like fuck that. There's no, time. I, no, no, I'm done with marginal change. It's dumb. It's a stupid concept. It's an, if you know what the right thing is, do it that's like it's just dumb like i don't understand this like well republicans have this fucking abhorrent position over here but i'm going to meet them halfway with this semi less abhorrent position and we're going to call that a good thing and like that's not like that does that's to me not how debate or politics even should is is supposed to work like you're supposed to be like here's an idea here's an idea oh this is the better idea let's do that
1: yeah you know what this has got me thinking about? I don't know why. This is like sort of I'd say adjacent to probably the issues that you face on a daily basis or whatever, but like I I can't remember what it was like a comedian or somebody or something in a TV show at one point this person is commenting on um how our society's set up and how neglectful it is of like the elderly and they're talking about the the fact that like millions of years or not millions, but like, you know, hundreds of years uh sort of setting up this thing that you know that we live in that has all these insane, um, technical, you know, brilliant things or whatever. And when you're old, they give you a walker with the fucking, um, tennis balls on the bottom. And it's like, <laughs> that shows you how yeah. we have priorities in the way that things are distributed. And mm-hmm. the distribution there is the problem. And I think that's like a good way to explain socialism yeah. to people. Cause people, I think, think of, you know, socialism as a form of government Versus yeah. capitalism as a form of government, and it's it's you know kind of, but it's I think it's better understood as a form of distributing like goods and stuff yep. like that, and power, and where you know research for fixing certain things is going to go, and like we we don't take once you're past a certain age, you're no longer you know part of the, what benefits our system of distribution of goods, so you just give you the fucking tennis balls and tell you to fuck off and die, you know.
4: Basically. Yeah. Right. Because what you can't, essentially our society has an equation that is over everybody's head and that is how much can you contribute and how much do you take? Uh, and that those numbers are generally arbitrary and randomly decided by somebody and not really based in anything. Um, but we still make a lot of decisions like whether someone should have a job or not based on those kind of things. And yeah, society basically is like, if you're no longer able to turn a profit for a, for society, you can go die. You might as well just fuck off and die. Yeah.
1: yeah that's, that's,
4: that's the essential, the essential message that we get. Um, you know, but uh, there's so many, there's so many ways that I think we can, that we can, move in the right direction and that's where you know like i you talk about exploring you know talking about the the nuances of socialism and like i'm i'm first of all i'm a socialist in south carolina which imagine that right that like that's fun, another man. fucking crazy thing I, that's another fucking crazy thing i get to deal with right but like I, you know when i when i explain it to people i'm like dude i i dislike the government probably just as much as i fucking dislike you know crazy right-wing shit like i'm not a fucking gov- i'm a libertarian type socialist man like they're they socialism is not government by any means socialism is fucking democratic control of your life right and like that's you know this movement i think um not movement is not a movement this project um if it ever became a movement that'd be great um <laughs> this project i think um you know is to kind of try and emphasize that point right like we that that change needs to happen you know, or else we're going to be fighting the same fucking fight over and over again.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Word, man. Well, um, listen, I think I got to wrap up here in a second, but, um, uh, go ahead and plug, man, get your shit out there and let people know where they can, uh, you know, see your stuff and do whatever you need to do.
4: Yeah, man, I've only got, uh, two pluggables. That would be the website, not your org. I encourage everyone to stop there. Um, and then check me out on Twitter. I'm at Adam F as in Frank, or Fogel, my former last name, Naughton, N A U G H T O N. I got married and took my wife's last name. I just love doing crazy shit.
1: Oh, that's badass, um, dude. <laughs> yeah, man. <bad>, All right. <laughs> so, doing Adam the soy face Naughton. the whole time the preacher's talking or whatever. Uh,
4: yeah. Well, I made the decision like six months after. but
1: yeah. No, that rules, though. That's cool.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, you know. I can get into that, but uh, <laughs> we, we have a stepson. So it was like, it's easier for me to change my name than like other people change oh, their names. So and okay. why should I not do it? Yeah, yeah. Um, but yes, Twitter at Adam F Frank Fogel, Naughton, N A U G H T U N.
1: I appreciate it, man. Yeah, dude. Thanks for so much uh, for, for, Coming on and uh sorry about the rigmarole. For listener, we were oh. gonna do this like the week I got arrested and then you know shit just gets You do you guys have heard happens. the podcast. Every time we start, we're like,
4: Fuck, the gear's <laughs> on fire
1: again and everything's a yeah, fucking right? mess, you know. But uh we did it.
4: <laughs> did it
1: all right, that's the episode John Brown part three coming next week, uh probably with some more stuff like this. And um yeah, that once again was um a short interview with Adam F. Naughton, uh guy from South Carolina. Uh, talking about his uh his website not your inspiration funny guy right after we cut off i always fucking accidentally do this this how podcasting works right after we stopped talking we got into a conversation about what it would be like to fight nathan J. robinson i've been playing a lot of video games so i'm imagining him as like a boss i guess for some reason where he like throws knives at you out of his suit and shit i don't know anyways uh that's the show and, uh, what do we got? Patreon. Bonus episodes. You can support us on Patreon and listen to our bonus content. We literally just do another episode every week. And, um, our merch store is at, uh, poddamamerica.bigcartel.com. We have bandanas. Uh, lower the prices. Because, I, sorry, it was a, uh, if you bought one early, um, I, I think I can sell them cheaper. I just had to pay off the initial price of, like, setting up the screen print and shit. You don't care about any of this stuff. Anyways, shop at our merch store, fucking support us on Patreon, or just hang out and listen if uh, that's your thing too. All right, that's it. It's finished.